Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss heart. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. was a great year for music and Christmas 1980 was a great Christmas for me. I got Heart, Greatest Hits slash Live and it's one of the best compilations you can get. You have just the classic era with one or two oddities and live tracks. The cover's captivating. You have two beautiful and cool looking ladies and their henchmen shot by super rock photographer Neil Preston. And on the back cover, they look even cooler. There's a live version of Mr. Wynn from the Dog and Butterfly album that is really enchanting and powerful. I can't get enough of this track. And I've seen the band three times and they never play it. But Anne's wailing at the end of this makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up. This is the epitome of their Led Zeppelin aspirations. Dig it.
So shortly thereafter, I acquired the 1977 album Little Queen, which is probably the single best album in their catalog, maybe next to the first album, Dreamboat Annie. I always thought of Anne and Nancy as my two big sisters. They front the band, and when I met them during the Passion Works tour in 1983, they were so cool. They were kind and really seemed excited to meet me and my friends. They didn't rush us off. They came out and hugged us in their terry cloth robes right after the show, and they asked us all kinds of questions, what kind of music we liked, which songs we liked. They wanted to know their fans, and it was probably especially at this point because they were at their lowest career arc since they had started. So I've always got a soft spot for Ann and Nancy, but the original band was not just about them, as it came to be later. The original group had a synergy and cohesiveness that had been unmatched since late 70s when they became fragmented and more fucked up. Like Fleetwood Mac in the same general time frame, romantic relationships within the group created splinters, the usual toxic combo of ego and drugs, all those things played a part. Mike Fisher was the band's manager and his brother Roger Fisher was the man behind the guitar riffs and they were involved with Ann and Nancy respectively. Let's say the golden era of Heart was everything up to 1980, and including that Greatest Hits album. But the first five albums are where it's at overall. The debut, Dreamboat Annie, came out in 1976, and they came out with all guns blazing. It's a well-crafted album in the Led Zeppelin tradition, and that's really what they wanted to be. They wanted to be like the female Led Zeppelin. So this album has a concept running through it, and it's really well-produced. All the albums are during this period.
So with that album, they were on a record label called Mushroom, which was a pretty small label. But they had a falling out with Mushroom because of a full-page ad in Rolling Stone that they mocked up to look like a National Enquirer front page. So Mushroom is trying to sell records off of the sex appeal of the sisters, which is nothing unusual and maybe not even that terrible. But it used a photo similar to the one on Dreamboat Annie, showing Anna and Nancy back-to-back with bare shoulders, and the caption under the photo read, It was only our first time. The band had not been consulted, and of course they were furious with this double entendre of the caption. Not long after the ad appeared, a radio promoter asked Anne about her lover, and Anne said, What are you talking about? And he was referring to Nancy. He was implying that the sisters were incestuous lesbian lovers, which is fucking gross. But this encounter infuriated Anne, who went back to her hotel, and she wrote, the lyrics to Hart's signature song, Barracuda, is about that asshole. So they split with Mushroom Records, and Mushroom was owed another album, so they put out an album called Magazine, which was really just leftover stuff from the first album, and also some other things they had laying around. And that was first released in 77, but when Hart realized they couldn't get it pulled completely, they agreed to go back in the studio and fix it up a little bit so it wasn't quite so embarrassing.
but that's still not really a purebred release, even though it has a great song on it called Heartless. Now, Little Queen, which came out in 77, that should have been the second album. And it's also really strong, like the first album. Well-produced, excellent sound. And I am asking, will you save a place for me? To rest beside your heart and feel I'm free. For what could this feeling strong do when I am here without you? Without you. So will you treat me well? Will you treat me well? There's a number of great songs in here I appreciate. Third album would be Dog and Butterfly in 78. Side one was the dog side, and was more rocking, and side two was mostly ballads. Still another really strong record with some interesting cuts.
brings us to 1980 and the album Babel is Strange, which I really like. It's got this song called Even It Up, and the horns in the background are the Tower of Power horn section. It's a little bit weaker. The Fisher Brothers were gone. Anna Nancy took control of the group and kicked them to the curb, but at least she still had the rhythm section of Steve Fawson on bass and Michael DeRozier on drums. Real powerhouse. Howard Lease, who ended up staying with the band for 22 years. He became a really important part of the group, highly underrated guitar player, and a really nice guy. I also met him at the show I saw, and he was about as nice as you can be. And so this brings me up to the time where the first New Heart album that came out as I was a fan at this point was Private Audition. That came out in 82. There's really just a few songs, a whole lot of filler. The song City's Burning is kind of cool. It was inspired by John Lennon's murder. And then in 1983, Passion Works came out, and this is where they shifted gears and went for a more 80s sounding production. Steve Fossen and Michael DeRozier were gone. They were replaced by Denny Carmassi on drums, who was a super nice guy, and Mark Andes on bass, who was not. He was such a bastard to us, even the sisters were kind of rolling his eyes at him. I was surprised he lasted as long as he did.
still Passionworks has a few good songs. So in 1985, they had their comeback, financially more than creatively, and the band was ready for the MTV age. The first problem right up front is that the self-titled album is a Ron Nevison production, meaning that it smells like ass. Ron Nevison's credits include the worst albums of the decade, Ozzy's Ultimate Sin, Survivor, Kiss Crazy Nights, Star Shit, Damn Yankees, Europe... Only Bruce Fairbairn had tainted the airwaves more than Nevison did back then. The only thing I'll give him credit on is that he did produce Lights Out by UFO, which is a masterpiece. And as we would learn later, both management and bandmates, my guess is the asshole bass player, put pressure on Anne to lose weight, saying it was hurting the group. And she struggled with that for many years. I do recall being kind of shocked when she came out on stage and that she was heavy, but it didn't affect her performance, and I don't really give a fuck myself, but I know that it was hard for her. In the Hart memoir, Kicking and Dreaming, you talk about the problems you've had with weight control. Mm -hmm. How has your weight affected the ups and downs of your weight and the fight with the weight? How has it affected you, first of all, as a performer and then as a person? Yeah, well, as a performer, it's been at least as much of a, a struggle as it is personally. Um, personally, it's more about boys and health and, you know, being accepted as a kid in high school, you know, which is, which is hard enough without a weight problem. With one, it's even harder. Uh, as a performer, it may wreck your career. It may put your, your career just gone. A couple years later, 1987, Bad Animals came out, which is a bad title, but it was a big album for the group and another real disappointment for us longtime fans. We were liberated women. We just didn't think of ourselves as sex objects. We were just people out there being musicians. In the 80s, MTV and all of this pressure just narrowed the, the focus about it's got to look good, to sound good. At first it was kind of fun. It was like costumery, woohoo, and you know, we're like Prince in the Revolution. And that's cool. And then a couple years later, it's like, you know, what do you mean put on this corset? What do you mean wear these stilettos? And you know, it was so cheesecake. They only had their names on three tracks, but we had a lot of outside songwriters like Holly Knight and Diane Warren who both specialize in vomit-inducing charlatan rock ballads that have not aged well. But the band was bigger than ever. They were selling out everywhere. In 1990, they put out Brigade, which is another slick and polished piece of product that included songs written by Knight, Warren, Mutt Lang, who lost his mind and credibility by then, and Sammy Hagar. Really? Damn near every four words, you trip over some cliche that made it impossible to enjoy the record or take it seriously. And then Desire Walks On came out in 93. This was kind of a turning point. It's the last album for Howard Lease. It had no real hits. But there is one song that Lane Staley sings on. 
They wanted to get out of the machine. They had realized what it had cost them credibility-wise. They were looking around at all these other Seattle bands, and they didn't want to be the kinds of acts that were phony. They wanted to be more like Soundgarden, and they had a great friendship with Chris Cornell. They've been spending the rest of their careers trying to gain it back, the credibility, but haven't really had any hits since then. They've put out some decent records. Uh, there was one called The Road Home, which was an unplugged record produced by John Paul Jones. has some nice tracks on it. It's coming on Christmas, they're cutting down the trees, they're putting up reindeer, singing songs of joy and peace. I wish I had a river, I could skate away on. Well, it don't snow here, it stays pretty green. Gonna make a lot of money And quit this crazy scene I wish I had a river I could skate away on Oh, I wish I had a river so Then they had a side group called the Lovemongers, which was sort of Hart's way of having an alter ego band that they could test some of their less commercial stuff. And Anne played bass in it. So since then, we've had a few albums every once in a while. Jupiter's Darling came out in 2004. Not a bad record, has some Zeppelin-y stuff on it. See 
Red Velvet Car came out in 2010, and I saw that tour. One of my souls should slip off this bus and land in the inferno. Bouncing and tumbling onward, watching in vain for change. A windmill, a billboard, a Joshua tree, a rusted old home on the range. Yeah! Fanatic came out in 2012, kind of a cheap slash dash album cover, and then Beautiful Broken came out last year, and that's a pretty good record.
Sadly, the group is on hiatus now, and maybe permanently, because of a conflict the sisters had. The first time that I know of it's ever happened to such a degree that the band would break up, meaning the two sisters would break up. But they had some backstage drama between Nancy's kids and Anne's new husband and dogs. And these are the kinds of things that normal sisters fight about. But apparently this was real ugly. Police were involved, etc. Battle of words on the internet. It's just a damn shame, and I hope they get it back together. I think that ultimately they will, because they have exhibited so much love for each other throughout the years. There's got to be a way back. Thank you, everyone. My name is Chris Cornell. And I am here tonight to induct an amazing band, and they also happen to be my hometown heroes, a band called Heart. Let us now praise sisters Anne and Nancy Wilson, as well as guitarist Roger Fisher, bassist Steve Fawson, guitarist and keyboardist Howard Lees, and drummer Michael DeRozier. Somehow it never occurred to us that Anne and Nancy Wilson were women existing authentically in a world dominated by men. Part with two Joan of Arcs standing up front, kicking total ass, backed by a surprisingly powerful and unique band, blasted down any sexist barriers in front of them, armed with pure, ballsy power of rock and roll. Art was important to us, not just as musicians, but also as proof of the fact that Seattle could produce something beautiful and rocking that the rest of the world might actually care about. When you first heard the great albums these men and women wrote and played and sang, like Dreamboat Annie, Little Queen, dog and butterfly, you had the sense that here's a band that knew exactly what they were doing, where they were going, taking a cue from Zeppelin, and displaying astonishing range. But then again, for me and countless other men and women, Heart has always been so far ahead. That's one more reason why they have more than earned this moment to at long last stand with all the other rock gods and take their rightful place in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame up. So Anna and Nancy, if you're listening, bring it on home.
Good night. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being part of this. See you again. This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck.